Okay, well, if the children could go to their Sunday school class now. And please could the rest of us turn in our Bibles to 2 Corinthians and chapter, uh, chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 3. And if you wish to follow in the church Bible, this is found on page 1148. Page 1148 and uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 3. The Apostle Paul says, We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. We are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet as well known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. So please do keep your Bible open at that point, and let's now uh, ask God to help us as we consider his word. Oh, Father in heaven, we thank you for your precious and holy word. And we thank you, Father, that you've gathered us together here this morning. And some also are online as well. We thank you for this. Thank you for the wonderful privilege of hearing from you. And thank you that your word is so powerful. Father, please, would you speak to us through your word? Please, would you help me to be able to teach your word well and in the power of the Holy Spirit? Please would you speak to each one of our hearts through what we hear. And we do pray, Father, for the children in their Sunday school class. We pray that you'll speak to them as well. And we pray that all of us, old and young, might any that don't yet know you might be led to faith in Jesus. And those that do know you might be led to serve you better. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, now, if you were here last week, uh, you may remember that we saw how the Apostle Paul urged his readers to be reconciled to God. <clears throat> you might remember that what that word reconciled means is where enemies are made to be at peace with each other. And in our natural state, we, all of us, are alienated from God. But God 
urges us to come to him and to become friends with him again. And the reason why we need to be reconciled to God is because in our natural state, we are sinful. We've committed trespasses. We've gone across the boundary. We've gone into places and behavior where we shouldn't go. And that's made us very offensive to God because, of, because God is so pure and so holy and he's so totally committed to, to, to what is right. And if it wasn't for God doing something for us to enable us to become his friends, we would be his enemies forever and we'd be sent to hell to be punished for our sins. But God has stepped in. He's done what we cannot do. He's provided Jesus to pay the debt that we owe to God for our sins. So that if we turn from our sins and if we put our trust in Jesus, all our sins will be forgiven. That barrier between us and God will be taken away. And we can become friends with God again. And we saw how the Apostle Paul uh, pleads with people on God's behalf and urges them to come to God and to be reconciled to God. And uh, we saw there's great urgency. Today is the day of salvation. We must put it off. We need to come to Jesus quickly while we can and receive his salvation. Now, the passage that we're thinking about this, this morning follows directly from that passage that we were thinking about last week. And in these verses that we're thinking about this morning, Paul speaks about how, as he conducts this ministry of reconciliation, this ministry of telling people about how they can be reconciled to God and urging people to be reconciled to God, he does everything he can not to stop people from accepting this message. And so he says in verses 3 and 4 of our reading, chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, we put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found in our min- with our ministry but as servants of God we commend ourselves in every way so he's saying I don't want anything that I do or anything that I say to stop anybody from coming to Christ He doesn't want anything to come in the way to act as a barrier to stop people from believing in the Lord. Now, if you are aware, some of you might be aware of how the Apostle Paul in this letter and in lots of other places teaches that people's salvation ultimately depends on God's choice. That the people who are saved are those whom God chose to save. Now, you might think it perhaps a bit strange, given that that's what the apostle teaches, that he might be worried about putting an obstacle in anybody's way. Because you might think, well, he, he surely thinks, well, everybody who's going to be saved is going to be saved anyway. It doesn't really depend upon me. It depends on God. So, in a sense, he might, you might think he might say, well, it doesn't matter. I don't need to worry about it. But that's not the case at all. Paul urgently desires that other people will come to Christ. We saw that, didn't we? This, you know, he he says, um, uh, "We implore you." God is making his appeal to us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Verse, verse uh, twenty. There is this great desire in his heart and his soul that. People would come to the Lord. 
And he really, really wants them to be saved. He doesn't want anything that he does to get in the way of that. Now, before we go any further, let me just draw out an immediate lesson for those of us who are Christians this morning. In our witnessing to others, as we try to tell other people about the gospel, and we urge them to come to Christ... In our witnessing and in our behavior and in our prayer life, in our speech, we should act as though it all depended on us. We know it doesn't ultimately. We know that ultimately it depends upon Christ and upon God's work. But we should act as though it depended on us. We should have that seriousness and that desire and that love and that care. And we should be very, very careful not to do anything that's going to come act as a barrier to stop other people from believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, the knowledge that God is sovereign, that God rules everything, over everything, should never be used as an excuse for laziness or or immoral behavior, prayerlessness, lack of love, or doing anything that might cause somebody else to stumble. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. I won't ask you to turn to these words, but they're recorded in Matthew chapter 18 and verses 5 and 6. Jesus said, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Very strong thing that Jesus says there. Now, the actual word, when it's translated there, causes them to sin. Actually, the actual word is causes them to stumble. It's exactly the same idea. It's a different word, but same sort of idea. Acting as a stumbling stone. Acting as a blockage. Acting as an obstacle that causes somebody to trip up and therefore to sin or not to believe. We've got to be very, very careful as Christians that we don't do anything that's going to make it difficult for somebody else to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what the Apostle is talking about here. He says, I'm very, very careful as I conduct my ministry. I'm very, very careful not to do anything that's going to be an offense, that's going to be, be a cause for stumbling, an obstacle for somebody coming to Christ. Now, why does the Apostle talk about his ministry here? And if you've been with us previous weeks and months when we've been going through 2 Corinthians, you'll know that we've had lots and lots of teaching about Christian ministry. You could almost call 2 Corinthians a sort of teacher's manual, couldn't you? Or a preacher's manual. It's this, you know, who needs a how to be a preacher when you've got, when you've got 2 Corinthians? Because it's all there. And, and you might have noticed this sermon, the title of this sermon, is quite similar to other titles. That have, that have been, oh, there's another one on, 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 on good Christian ministry. I hope you'll see that this isn't just going to be a repeat. But it's coming at it from another angle. But why does the apostle keep on talking about real, true Christian ministry? Well, I think there's perhaps two main reasons. One is because... He knows that there are false versions of ministry that are being peddled to these Christians in Corinth. There are these guys, he calls them later in the letter, he calls them super apostles. They they claim to be all singing, all dancing, miracle working, prosperous, powerful, mighty apostles of God. 
who can do mighty things and nothing like Paul who seems so weak and so so poor and so ill and no these are the new guys the great guys does that sound like a bit modern to you these tv evangelists and people saying oh you know jesus can give you lots of money jesus can make you wealthy successful just give us your money and we'll we'll double it for you or we'll triple it for you you get these people don't you today just like these people in paul's day so we we need to know about real ministry because there's there's false versions out there but another reason why we need to know about real ministry is uh, because we're all ministers of the gospel to some degree. You know, a quote ordinary Christian who sits on a pew on Sunday mornings and is out at work during the week and, you know, is, or, or is a housewife or perhaps an old age pensioner or you're involved in ministry as well. And here's, here's a pattern for you in terms of, of how you conduct your ministry. So as Paul talks about um, how he doesn't put a stumbling block in anybody's way, he then goes on, you've got this long list in um, verses 4, right the way through to, to verse 10, of all the things, all the ways in which he does not put a, a stumbling block in people's way. Now, when you actually look at that list a bit more closely, you can actually see four main areas that he talks about. And we'll, we'll analyze that list according to these four, four main areas. First of all, he doesn't put a stumbling block in people's way through enduring the suffering that God calls him to go through. That's in verses 4 and 5. And then secondly, he doesn't put a stumbling block in people's way through being morally pure. Verses 6 and 7. And then thirdly, he doesn't put a stumbling block in people's way through continuing in good times and bad times. That's the first half of verse 8. And then fourthly, he puts no obstacle in anyone's way through being content with the apparent contradictions of Christian ministry. And that's verses second half of verse 8 through to verse 10. So let's think about these four sections together. First of all then, the apostle endures suffering for the sake of the gospel. Let's now read verses 4 and 5 again. As servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. So here the apostle describes how he suffered intensely for the sake of this message of reconciliation that he proclaimed. Now, can you see the irony of this? Here is the apostle, full of love, full of goodwill, saying to the world, God loves you. He's provided a savior for you. He wants to be friends with you. He wants to wash away all your sins. He wants to give you eternal life. He wants to welcome you into heaven. And for his pains, what's the Paul getting the apostle getting back? This long list of all the suffering he gets. He's so the the juxtaposition of the 
of the love that he has for the people he's trying to reach and the way in which he's treated in return is just, it's just amazing. It's, almost, it's really sort of mind-boggling. Why is it that you know, he's so full of love and goodwill and yet he's so hated by these people? Well, because as he says, as he's just said, verse 20, he is an ambassador of Christ. He's a representative of God. And people in their natural state don't like God. They don't love God. They don't want God. And so they show their hostility towards God by showing hostility towards his servant. And that's why you and I, if you're a Christian, you must expect to be persecuted. The Bible says everyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That is just half the course. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. You've got to get ready to suffer. That's, you know, if, if you've got some sort of vague idea in your mind, oh, that being a Christian is just going to be all sweetness and light and happiness and no suffering, you've got another thing coming. Being a Christian doesn't involve suffering because you're standing with God. Remember Jesus said, if they, hated, if they hate you, remember that they hated me first. That's why you'll be hated if you're a Christian, because they hate Jesus. Don't be surprised. Got some troubles coming to your life? Has your life, since you've been showing an interest in Christ, gone completely haywire and berserk? And everything gone absolutely crazy and mad? Well, what are you surprised about? Do you think the devil's pleased that you become a Christian? Of course not. That's to be expected, isn't it? And then another reason why they hated Paul is because, of course, yes, you tell people the good news about salvation from sin, but as you do so, you have to tell people about what sin is, don't you? And nobody likes being told that they're a sinner. Especially if you have to say, define sin as the Bible defines sin, as we Martin was reminding us this morning, and you know. There are certain things that our society calls black, white, and calls white, black, and says, oh no, homosexuality and lesbianism, that's wonderful. You know, if somebody comes out as, 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 as one of those things, oh, well done, congratulations. Or somebody changes their gender, oh, you're so brave and so wonderful doing that. The world has gone completely topsy-turvy, hasn't it? But if we say as Christians, no, these things are wrong, well, you're not going to be thanked for that. You're not going to be loved for that. Of course not. And another reason why, why Paul was hated and why we will be hated if we stick to the gospel is because the, the good news of Jesus shows the utter bankruptcy of other religions. See, what Christianity says is no matter how hard you try to be religious, no matter how many times you've been to church or to the mosque or to the temple or whatever it is, it's got you no nearer to God. In fact, it's got you further away from God. And so people say, Oi, you being rude about my religion? Don't you know how hard I've tried to be God? And people get offended because pride gets offended. And so we should not be surprised if, if we suffer persecution. Indeed, suffering is the price of faithfulness. You see, if Paul had adapted his message and said, oh, well, you know, it's not really wrong to do those things. Oh, well, God thinks you're a wonderful person. There's nothing wrong with you, really. You're, you're so sincere and wonderful. Oh, and... All your religious efforts, they're fantastic. If he said all those things, well, of course, he'd have been everybody's friend, wouldn't he? But because he stuck to the cross, stuck to the message as it is, that's why he got it in the neck. Now, there's an important lesson here because some Christians interpret this verse we put no obstacle in anyone's way, or we do not try to offend anybody. And Paul says in, in another part in, in, 
In 1 Corinthians, he talks about how he says, we become all, I become all things to all men. And so they say, well, what we've got to do is we've got to, we've got to adapt the message for the environment. And we've got to, you know, instead of talking about heaven and hell and sin and judgment, what we've got to do is we've got to tell people, talk to people about how God will meet their, felt their needs. How God will help them to have a sense of self-esteem. How God will make them feel good about themselves. And we sort of, you know, we, we adapt the message to, 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 to make things easy for people. And, and we change the service as well. We, we, instead of having a, a, a formal service, we, no, let's have a cafe. And let's, uh, let's have some, you know, let's have a great band. And, and, and let's, and why don't, uh, pastor, why don't pastor have a, a tattoo as well, and perhaps an, uh, an earring, and you know, so he looks a bit trendy. And so we adapt ourselves to, you know, so that it's easy for people to become a Christian. And the, the term, this was all the rage 30 years ago, you know, this sort of seeker-sensitive services. You know, let's, let's change everything so that it's all easy for people from outside. But what Paul is saying when he's talking about not talking about an obstacle, he's not talking about changing the message. He's not talking about changing his behavior in terms of not being holy. What he's saying is, I actually don't put an obstacle in people's way by actually being prepared to suffer. By not compromising. Not compromising is actually not putting an obstacle in people's way. It's counterintuitive. You might think it's the, you might think, oh, surely to compromise would be to not put an obstacle in people's way. But actually, what Paul is saying is, I, I don't put an obstacle in people's way by not compromising and by being willing to take the consequences that come from that. Now, how is this? Well, because, you see, if you were to be like a sort of jellyfish that just, you know, had no spine to him, well, people wouldn't listen to him. He might not have any, any uh, opposition, but he wouldn't. Nobody would take any notice of what he says. And don't we see this in, in some ecclesiastical circles? You know, everybody goes hot on the... Oh, hot on the world, excuse me for the pun. But everybody goes all... You know, talking about the environment. And then certain ecclesiastical groups, they all suddenly start talking about the environment. And then, oh, everybody starts saying, we've all got to be inclusive, include every type of person, whatever, whatever they, they view about homosexuality, they view about gender. And, and the world is saying that, and then the, then the church says, oh, we must all be inclusive. What happens to those churches? Do people say, oh, we must join that church, oh, we must? No, they just, they just, they just say, well, that, that church is rubbish. It's got nothing to say. It's got no, it's got no bite to it. It's got no. But it's, but the people who stand by the word of God, they hate them at one level. But they respect them, because there's something to say. There's something they're saying. And this is the point. Paul Paul knows that if he was to, to compromise, not only would he, would he be dishonouring God, he would actually put an obstacle in people's way. He'd stop them from actually having real faith. And so he describes there his, 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 uh, the, the, uh, the difficulty he goes through. And if you know anything about Paul's life, you'll know how these things are echoed. In You can read the book of Acts. You can see the sort of things he went through. If, um, great endurance he had to suffer. He had to, he had to exercise. Verse 4. Afflictions. Hardships, calamities. I mean, he, he went through shipwrecks several times and, met, and various other disasters. Beatings, frequently he, he was beaten, you know, with, with horrible lashes. Imprisonments, falsely imprisoned. Not because he, he wasn't imprisoned because he was a criminal. He was imprisoned because he preached the gospel. 
riots. You can read about one riot in, 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 in Acts chapter, I think it's chapter 19, the riot in Ephesus. But there will be other times as well. There was another time when, he, when he was, they tried to stone him. And then he talks about the suffering involved in his personal work for the Lord. Labors. He's working really hard night and day, he tells us in other places, because he had to support himself. He had to provide for his own needs and then also to, pre- to preach. Sleepless nights. Hunger. That could be voluntary fasting, but may well be that literally he just couldn't afford enough food for himself. And it's this willingness to suffer that actually meant that he did not put an obstacle in anyone's way. You might know the, 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 um, the quotation from one of the early writers in Christianity. I think it's about third or second third or fourth century, or maybe earlier. And he said that the he said the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. That as believers suffer, that actually encourages the unbelievers to say, "Hey, there's something real here, something true." Um, a few hundred years ago, um, Mary the first came to the throne. They called her Bloody Mary because she. She, uh, under her government, lots and lots of Bible-believing Christians were burned at the stake. And one man who was burned at the stake with another, with, was a man called Hugh Latimer. And he was burned next to his friend Nicholas Ridley. And he said to his friend Nicholas Ridley, Be of good cheer, Master Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust shall never be put out. And that's what happened. Through those, those, the faithfulness of those believers who suffered in that way, the gospel flame spread throughout England because they were faithful. They were prepared to suffer. They were prepared to put, literally put their life on the line for the gospel. So, if to, to, so not putting a, a stumbling block in somebody's way means, put, not putting an obstacle in someone's way means that you're willing to suffer. Now, secondly, Paul was morally pure. Look now at verses 6 and 7. He said, by purity, knowledge, Patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful spirit, and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. So what Paul's talking about here is how he doesn't put an obstacle in people's way through living consistently with what he preached. You see, he preached that through the gospel, you can not only be forgiven from your sins, but you can also be empowered to live in a new way. And his life was a visual demonstration of what he said. And so his life acted as a sort of, as an amplifier. Now, of course, when he wrote this, they didn't have PA systems. They're a modern invention. But they'd have had things like sounding boards or trumpets, you know, sort of like a cone that acts as a sort of, as a a way of a loud hailer. And, And what Paul is really saying is that his, through living, in a right way, his message was amplified and, 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 and reinforced. 
and came home to the consciences of the people who heard him. They knew that what he was saying was true and right because they could see that, what, that, that by his way of life, by the sorts of things that described to the moral qualities he had in his life, that what he was saying was true. I don't think it, I think it's probably impossible to understate, or, no, sorry, impossible to overstate, excuse me, it's possible to overstate the importance of how you live in terms of your effectiveness. A good life in the power of the Spirit makes a Christian mightily powerful. But a bad life that contradicts what he teaches or what he, what he testifies really severely undermines his testimony. Here's a quotation from a man called Robert Murray McShane. Some of you might have heard this quotation before. Robert Murray McShane was a man who lived in the early 19th century. He's from Dundee, actually, where, where Paul, <laughs> Paul is from. Uh, and... Uh, he had a, a most astonishingly effective ministry. He died very young. I think it, he's only about 32, 33, something like this. But he, he was mightily used by God. And, and people said about him, he was a holy man. He, he, just, he was really well advanced in, his, in, in overcoming sin in his life. And this is what he wrote to a friend of his who is coming into the ministry. He said this, Do not forget the culture of the inner man. I mean the heart. How diligently the cavalry officer keeps his saber clean and sharp. Every stain he rubs off with the greatest care. Remember, you are God's sword, his instrument, I trust a chosen vessel unto him to bear his name. Now listen to this. It is not great talents God blesses so much as great likeness to Jesus. A holy minister is an awful weapon in the hand of God. A word spoken by you when your conscience is clear and your heart full of God's spirit is worth 10,000 words spoken in unbelief and sin. Now that's true, isn't it? But on the other hand, turn it around the other way. A sin in a, in a minister of the gospel that is not repented of can undo a lifetime of work now some of us I don't even want to mention their names but some of us will know the names of Bible believing evangelical Christian ministers who have apparently who have had very wonderful ministries and yet towards the end of their ministry the whole thing has collapsed Sometimes even after their death, the thing has collapsed because of some scandal. A marriage that's broken down or misuse of people. I don't even want to mention some of the things that, that have come to light sometimes. In those who were, I'm not talking about like way off like people, you know, the prosperity gospel type people. They've got their own scandals. I'm talking about within our own house. Bible-believing Christians jolly good, really rock-solid, sound, biblical teachers whose ministry has been massively, massively undermined, sadly, through some scandal or other. Nothing will empty a church faster than scandal. You can build up a church over many, many, many years through careful preaching, but it only takes a scandal and it will all empty out with astonishing speed. 
So pray for me, pray for Ed, pray for Paul and for others that God will help us to be faithful and to live out what we proclaim, to be consistent. But pray for yourself if you're a Christian, that God will help you to be a consistent Christian. Let me ask you this question. What sort of employee are you? Are you conscientious, hardworking? If you've got a job, that is. If you're conscientious, hardworking, polite, friendly, helpful? Or are you one of these employees who's always going off early, cutting corners, back-chatting to the boss, and then even worse, gossiping about the boss behind his back when he's not there, quarrelling with other employees... What sort of employee are you? You should be, if you're a Christian, you should be the very best employee. What about if you're a student? What sort of a student are you? Conscientious, hardworking, respectful? Or always getting into trouble? Always always late with your assignments? Always wandering into class halfway through the session? If you're married, what sort of, you know, suppose you're, you're... you know, if you're a woman married to a non-Christian, what sort of wife are you? Well, saying married to a Christian. What sort of wife are you? Submissive? Kind? Patient? Or are you like that dripping tap that Proverbs talks about? Always moaning, always groaning, always grumbling. Or husband? What husband's here? What, what sort of a husband are you? Are you kind? Faithful? generous or are you a complete contradiction of what it means to be a a, a Christian man parents what sort of parents are you see the way we are we might say well that's just how I am in private but but somehow you can't hide how you are in private it comes out sooner or later There needs to be this consistency. Otherwise, all our efforts will be fatally undermined. So Paul didn't put an obstacle in people's way because he lived the life. Then thirdly, Paul didn't put an obstacle in people's way because... He served God in good times and bad times. Verse 8. First off, verse 8. Through honor and dishonor. Through slander and praise. You see, it's easy to serve God when everything's swimming along, when, when you've got the thousands crowding in and hundreds of people being converted and, 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 and everybody says you're a wonderful, a wonderful preacher. That's easy, isn't it? Anybody can, well, almost anybody can carry on in those sorts of circumstances. But what about when you go on week after week and week after week and year after year after year and you don't see anybody converted? And you actually see the sport church getting smaller. And people just disappear. And people who were really friendly, they just, in modern day times, they don't answer your WhatsApp messages. And you can see they've read them because you can see the blue ticks, but they don't answer. They're just, they're just not answering. They just blank you. And you thought, well, I thought this one was really friendly, but suddenly they just don't even answer you. What's wrong with me? What are you going to do when, when, you ha- when you go through that? If you have to be in a situation as some people have been, like missionaries to North, North Africa, for example, they've spent a whole lifetime without seeing a single convert. What are you going to do? Are you going to say, oh, that's it, I'm fed up. I'm good. Or are you going to say, no, I'm going to carry on? Because I'm doing it for the Lord's sake. I'm not doing it for men's of praise. Or, or, or. What are you going to do when everybody slanders you? You know, there's some, some person gets the hump and then, he, and then 
you know, starts spreading rumours about you or publishes stuff on the internet about you that's false, what are you going to do? You're going to say, well, no, that's it, I've, I've had enough. Paul says, I carry on. Whatever happens, through good times and bad times, I keep on, I keep on, I keep on. And again, you see, can't you see how this is really important for the point of view of not putting an obstacle in, in, in people's way. You see, suppose Paul had said, right, I've had enough of this. I'm giving up. What would have come of, of, of his ministry? What would have come of all those people, who, all his contacts, all the people who had heard about him and who were thinking of becoming Christians? Well, they said, oh, don't bother with that Christianity because, look, their chief spokesman, he's given up. In order not to put an obstacle in anybody's way, he had to be consistent. He had to keep going. You've got an example of this, haven't you? <laughs> when Paul was um, in Lystra. You know, one minute, he, they were people who were so enamored with Paul that they wanted to sacrifice him. He just healed somebody. And they said, the voice of a God! And they called a great sacrifice. They called a, a great crowd. They wanted to, to offer a great sacrifice to him. Then a few days later, some people came along and they turned the crowd and they started stoning Paul. <laughs> That's what you've got to be, that's the sort of thing you've got to be ready for. You've got to be ready for either praise and adulation, which you've then got to say, no, 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 I'm just a man, as Paul did. Followed by hatred. And be consistent, whatever happens. And then the fourth thing is that he was willing to experience the paradoxes of Christian ministry. Verse, second half of verse 8 through to verse 10. We are treated as impostors, yet are true, as unknown, and yet well known, as dying, and behold we live, as punished, and yet not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. See, these verses bring out the, the, the amazing paradox of being a true Bible preacher, a true Bible minister. You're treated like an imposter. You're treated like somebody who's a complete showman, who's like a, it's all show, it's, 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 it's all false. You're treated like somebody who's completely false, and yet the reality is you're true. You're treated as somebody who's completely unknown, and yet the truth is that you are well, very well known by God and by men. Treated as someone who is dying, and yet actually you live. By God's grace, not only physically, but you have the life of God within you. Punished and yet not killed. Still serving God, as long as God's will is for that person to continue serving him. Sorrowful. What sorrows did the Apostle Paul have? For the lost, for the ungodly, for the and for Christians who were who were failing and, and not and not and letting him down. And yet, always rejoicing. Paul. Paul had virtually nothing, and yet the effect of his ministry was to make others rich. Having nothing. Yet possessing everything. Paul was prepared to live with these extraordinary contradictions, he, or apparent contradictions. He didn't say, oh, I need to have my money, I need to have my security, I need to have, I need to have a good name for myself. I need to, no, no, he was prepared to, to be treated like the complete rubbish of the earth, knowing that God 
head was looking after his back. God was keeping him safe. So as we think, as we conclude now, uh, what should be the effect of these things on us? Well, first of all, we need to be very careful about who you listen to. You know, you've got, as I've mentioned before, you've got access to all sorts of teachers out there on the internet, all sorts of people on YouTube. Be very careful about whom you listen to. Make sure you listen to genuine ministers of the gospel. Pray for those who are ministers of the gospel. Pray that God will help us to, to um, live in accordance with what's described here. But also, learn from this for yourself. Because you are called, if you're a Christian, you are called to serve the Lord as well. You might not be a pastor or an evangelist, but we're all to be involved in the service of the Lord. And we need to, each one of us, guard our lives. Think about our thought life. Be careful about what we think. Be careful about how we speak. Be careful about what we do so that we do not undermine our testimony. And then finally, let me just say to anybody, you know, maybe there, there might be somebody here who's not yet a Christian. Hear what this passage is calling you to. It's calling you to become a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, take up your cross. If anyone will come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. Will you do that? He's not promising you an easy life. He's not promising you a comfortable life at all. But he is promising you that if you come to him, you will have everlasting glory in his presence, which is worth losing everything in order to obtain. Well, may God write his words upon our hearts and help us to apply it to ourselves. We're going to sing for our last hymn, number 396, From Heaven You Came, Helpless Babe. 396.